Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians 4. Uh, Ephesians 4, we're continuing this morning our um, slow but steady trod through these verses toward the end of uh, chapter 4. And Paul has transitioned, uh, as you recall, from reminding these brothers and sisters who they are in Christ and what God has done for them in Christ and by Christ to really going into some practical application and especially practical application as it relates to sin and how <clears throat> how they are to deal with sin and even to view sin. Um, and so we've covered things like lying and anger and stealing and speech. And then he comes to this verse in verse 30 and, and brings into the uh, his argument the the concept of grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And so I begin with this question, we'll, we'll kind of finish with the question also, are you grieving the Holy Spirit? And it's a really relevant question for us to ask, not just on a Sunday morning when we're, we're gathered together for a church service, but really kind of all the time throughout life and uh, thinking about the fact that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And, and the text today is going to remind us that too often we, we actually, as Christians, for those of us who have repented and believed on Jesus, we, we think too little about our sin, and too often we think too little about the effects of our sin. We're, we're just, we're far too often way too casual as it relates to sin in our lives. Let's not forget, our sin is what made the cross of Christ necessary. It's, it's my sin and it's your sin. It's the fact that we are sinners by nature. We have willfully disobeyed and dishonored God that made the cross a requirement for us to be back into right relationship with God. And so when we, when we think about our sin as it relates to the cross and the necessity of the cross, it really, it really kind of helps us to, to have a reality check of sorts, just the weight of, of our sin. And so we know that, that when we repent and believe on Christ, we are forgiven. We saw that in, in chapters 1 and 2 and then later into chapter 3. And so we are forgiven, but our experience is that we still have this sin thing going on, right? Like we don't, we don't graduate from sin. We don't move on from sin. It's not like we get saved and then we never have to wrestle with sin ever again in our lives. In fact, we actually become more aware of the, of the throwdown in our lives spiritually that goes on as it relates to sin. And way too often, we lessen the impact and the significance of sin on our everyday lives. And so what Paul is doing here is he's telling them, because God has put off the old self and he's put on the new self, therefore now you need to put off these things and put on these things. You need to play out in reality and act out in, in, in everyday life what God has already done for you spiritually. And so let's read, starting in verse 25, we'll read through the end of the section here in verse 32, but focus specifically this morning on Verse 30. All right, so verse 25. Therefore, therefore, in light of the fact that God has put off the old self, your old self has been put off, and your new self has been put on, created in the likeness of God after true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Pray with me. Father, as we dive into the riches of your written word, Lord, help us to help us to hear your word rightly today. Help me to preach it rightly and accurately. And Lord, as a as a church, Lord, help us to help us to receive this word with joy, even when there's pain in the moment, maybe. When there's when there is grieving or mourning in the moment. Lord, let us receive it with with joy. And so for those of us in this room, those joining online, Lord, show us ways in which we are grieving your Holy Spirit. Convict us of sin. Remind us of the righteousness that is ours because of Christ and in Christ. And show us best, Lord, how we are to pursue that righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. And so are you grieving the Holy Spirit? The the interesting thing about sin is sin is multifaceted in its effects. Our sin affects us. We, we know this from, from experience. Our, our sin affects our spiritual vitality, our spiritual well-being. We, we have a great example in the Scriptures in, as it relates to how sin affects us in the person of King David. Think about David's condition when he was entrenched in that sin. We have, that, we have the Psalm of Repentance, Psalm 51, where he, he says things like, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. But then there's another psalm that was probably written when David was under under, under the conviction of his sin, Psalm 6, where he writes things like this, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Literally, he says, I'm shaking on the insides. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a clear effect on our spiritual walk when it comes to sin. Our walk with God is hindered when we sin. And so a question here for us is, are you, are, are you he- having trouble maybe hearing from the Lord, from His Word through prayer, rejoicing in His Word, delighting in, in gospel-rooted joy? Maybe the reason why could be of sin. Our sin affects us in the fact that we, we lose, our, we lose that, that joy, that happiness in the Lord. We lose the passion. We lose the excitement, the delight. The fellowship with the Lord is, is not as sweet. There's a quietness to our walk. There's a distance to our walk with the Lord. And we know, especially those of us who have who've gone through seasons of extended sin, that there's a great, there is a great effect on us personally as it relates to sin. So our sin affects us. Also, our sin affects others. All the sins listed here in 25 through 32 have to do with the impact on other people. We may commit sin in isolation and in privacy. No one knows about it technically, but the impact of our sin is never isolated. It's actually never private. It's You may not have an idea about the sin that I commit, but if I am living in sin, I can guarantee you that sin has an effect on you and how I relate to you. Our sin affects our close relationship circles because sin affects relationship. We see it in Adam and Eve. 
Like immediately, what do they do? They start blaming one another. They, they once walked in harmony with one another, but also with God. And so sin enters the picture and their relationship is damaged. Our sin affects those that we actually sin against. And so children sin against parents and parents sin against children. Husbands sin against wives, employers against employees, friends against friends, and on and on and on. And so my, my selfishness, my manipulation, my pride, they don't affect just me. They also affect others, those who are the targets of that sin. So our sin affects those we sin against. But then to, Ephesians, to the point here in Ephesians, our sin affects our covenant community. Remember, this is all coming out of the language of building up in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that is that which is good for building up. And so Paul is writing these words not to a person, but to a community. To, to a group of probably churches where the letter would have been circulated among churches. And so lying and sinful anger and stealing and corrupting talk and all these things require someone else to be the target of that sin. And the, impacts, the impact falls on all of us. And so your sin affects me and my sin affects you. My sin doesn't just affect me and your sin doesn't just affect you. But because we are in covenant community together, being built together as the body of Christ, as the family of God, when you sin, I am actually affected by your sin in some way. And so what happens, believers, by committing these types of sins that are mentioned specifically here in the previous verses, these sins disrupt our lives as a community. And so the, the, the work of the Spirit and the building up of the church begins to be disrupted and maybe even opposed. And so when, when, when we act in a way that is sinful, we are actually harming one another, not just us. And sin at its root is pride and selfishness, right? And like we're, we're, we're seeking momentary satisfaction, what's best for us as we think in that moment. And just the way that selfishness plays out, I'm seeking that satisfaction and I really don't care how you're affected by my satisfaction. And maybe it could, be the, it could be the case that I actually don't think that you are affected by my selfish seeking after whatever this sin may be. But the community is affected. The church, our church, Redeemer Church, is only as healthy as the members of our church. And so if the members believe wrongly or behave wrongly, our health will be impacted. We should all strive toward righteousness and, and true doctrine and devotion and duty in all things, and specifically as it relates to sin. Our sin affects others around us. And then to our point in verse 30, our sin affects God. So we, we're quick to say, okay, I know my sin affects me, and it, it makes sense for me to think that my sin affects you, but for whatever reason, we seem to be less as quick to say that our sin actually affects God. Some things we need to understand about how God sees our sin. God is not ignorant toward our sin. He knows. <laughs> he knows. There's not a sin that you or I are going to commit that God's going to have to say, wait, what? I, I didn't know about that. No, God is not ignorant toward our sin. He knows. God is not indifferent toward our sin. He acts. He's not indifferent. He doesn't say, okay, well, I'm just going to go let them do their own thing. No, he's claimed us, and so he treats us as if he's claimed us. And so he's not indifferent toward our sin. He acts. And then to the point of verse 30, God is not insensitive toward our sin. He feels. Our sin grieves Jesus, the Son who died for us. Our sin grieves the Father who loves us. And our sin grieves the Spirit who lives inside of us. 
to the point in verse 30 where Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Notice what Paul doesn't say here. Paul doesn't say, don't make him angry or else. He says, don't grieve. He tells us that we should not cause the Spirit sorrow because of our sin. This word grieve, it means to to make someone become sad, to make someone become sorrowful or distressed. Spurgeon explained grief this way, a sweet combination of anger and of love. It's anger, but, but the gall of that anger is taken out of the anger. Love sweetens the anger and turns the edge off of it, not against the person, but against the offense. And so God becomes grieved when we sin. All sin is painful and offensive toward the Lord just in general, but when His children specifically sin, God grieves. And so some questions. I have five questions for us to to think about as we we consider verse 30 here. Question one, first, who is the Holy Spirit? This is a a theological foundation we we have to establish briefly before we go into how we actually grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul identifies the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit of God. There is incredible theological weight in the title that Paul uses here. The Holy Spirit. Holy, standard, and and source of the standard of holiness and the source of holiness. So think about it. The Holy Spirit, the standard of all that is holy, and the source of holiness. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, Christ became sin so that we become righteousness. How does that happen? Because the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And so we now have the source of holiness within us. And having the source of holiness within us, we also have the standard of holiness within us. So the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is God. The third, we call him the third person of the Trinity. Third does not mean rank or importance. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is a person. There's a constant use of personal pronoun, he and him, in referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some mystical it. The Holy Spirit is not just some, some ambiguous something out there somewhere that we're just not real sure about. The Bible refers to him as he and him. And so even our our use of word as as person falls short in in trying to understand, but it's the closest that we can come to as we think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be treated as a person, Acts 5. He can be lied to. He can be tested, Acts 7. He can be resisted, Hebrews 10. He can be insulted. So many of the things that we experience as people, the Holy Spirit also can experience. So we're talking about God himself. Not God's servant, not God's errand boy, but God himself, the Holy Spirit of God. Question two, what does the Holy Spirit do? So first, who is the Holy Spirit? The person of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? The work of the Holy Spirit. Well, we find all throughout Scripture that the Holy Spirit is active. Holy Spirit's active in the event of creation, and then we move into uh, the Old Testament Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures. Just listen to some of these explanations of how the Holy Spirit acts. The Holy Spirit has intelligence, 1 Corinthians 2. The Holy Spirit works, 1 Corinthians 12. The Holy Spirit searches hearts, 1 Corinthians 2. The Holy Spirit speaks, Acts 13. The Holy Spirit test- testifies to Christ. The Holy Spirit test- teaches, convicts of sin, regenerates. All those are coming from John's gospel. The Holy Spirit intercedes, Acts 8. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit directs. The Holy Spirit is active. And Also in terms of what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you've repented and believed on the Lord Jesus, if you are a child of God, you have become the dwelling place of God himself. 
God has taken up residence within you by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And so the Holy Spirit dwells within us, And that began as the Holy Spirit drew us to Christ. And now with the Holy Spirit within us, He teaches us Christ. And the Holy Spirit loves us as children of God. And so our new life and His love for us should be motivators for us to not grieve Him. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is is that point at which God's love comes to us and we are actually able to experience that love in real life and in real ways. And so when we weep or when we feel bad over sin, when we mourn because someone is hurting around us, when we bow in humble worship, overwhelmed by God's greatness and goodness, it's the work of the Holy Spirit within us. It's what God is doing in us by His Holy Spirit. Moving on to question three, to our text specifically, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, we grieve the Holy Spirit by sin. That's just the blanket statement. When we sin, when we disobey and dishonor God, the Holy Spirit is grieved. We can sin by the way that we believe, and we can sin by the way that we behave. We can sin in our attitudes. We can sin in our actions. We can sin in our actions, and we can also sin in our inaction. So let's just consider these examples here in the verses previous to to where we are in verse 30. The Holy Spirit grieves when we lie, when we do not speak the truth, verse 25. When we are not known for the truth. The Holy Spirit grieves, verse 26, when we sin by anger. And when we actually do give opportunity to the devil in our lives. So the Holy Spirit grieves, verse 28, when we steal that which is not ours. And that can be a, a, a... tangible possession, but it can be other things that do not belong to us. It could be credit that should go to you that I actually received to me and and what have you. The Holy Spirit grieves, verse 29, when this corrupting talk that we looked at over the last two weeks actually does come out of our mouths. And we're not known for actually building up one another, but we're actually known for crude talk or profane talk as we get to in in chapter 5 or tearing down others and things of the sort. Verse 31, the Holy Spirit grieves when we have bitterness, when we have wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice, when we aren't kind to one another, when we aren't forgiving toward one another, when when these particular sins are residing within us and just pick whatever other one you want to add to the list here, the Holy Spirit is grieving. And so do we actually really realize the depth of our sin? Do we realize the depth of our sin and, and, and realizing that God himself is affected by our sin? When we sin, we grieve God. And the, the depth of this word that Paul uses here, grieve, and the full title of the Holy Spirit of God is the only time in Ephesians he refers to him, to him as the Holy Spirit of God, points to the weight of the command that we find here in verse 30. This is a very, very big deal in Paul's mind as he's, as he's writing to these brothers and sisters and should be a very, very big deal to us. And so we grieve the Holy Spirit when we, when we return to the beliefs and behaviors from which we were redeemed. 
And so this could be impure thoughts or evil imaginations or or lustful intent or desires. It could be outward acts of sin. It could be big expressions of sin. It could be small expressions of sin as if there are actually categories. We can't, just a side note here, as, as it relates to grieving the Holy Spirit of God by the way that we sin, we can never manage sin and we can never tame sin. We must kill sin by the power of God that's within us. But when we sin, the Spirit grieves. We grieve the Holy Spirit by neglecting prayer, by neglecting time in the Word. When days go by without us praying, when days go by without us spending time meditating on God's Word, knowing God by His Word and from His Word, we grieve the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit by, by wrong ways of believing, wrong ways of behaving, and on and on and on. And there's an important truth here we have to be reminded of with regard to, to sin and our fight with sin as believers. Our sin is our fault. We have to take ownership. We must take ownership of our sin. You know who makes me sin? Me. Me. You might have made me mad. You might have made me angry. And in, from a worldly perspective, caused those words to come out of my mouth, let's say. But you didn't make me say that corrupting talk. My sin is my fault. Your sin is, is your fault. We all want to do what? We all want to place blame. Genesis 3. The woman you gave me. The serpent deceived me. We all want to place blame, but really we can't because all the... Well, we should. Actually, we should place blame, but rightly place blame on ourselves. It's our fault. We have to, we have to own our sin. It's not just the way I was raised. It's not just the way I was treated. It's not just the way I was taught. It's not just what they said to me or what they did to me or what they didn't say or didn't do to me. All of those blame expressions have at the center of them I. Right? Like we all want to be the victim. We, none of us want to be the perpetrator. We, we all want to be the victim. So we, as it relates to sin specifically, now let's be clear here, we're, we're, we're talking theologically. As it relates to sin specifically, your sin is your fault and my sin is my fault. And so we have to own this sin, understanding that even as Christians, we still sin. And when we sin by our own volition, by our own choice, and it is our own fault, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So this brings us to our next question, question four. What actually happens when we grieve the Spirit? What happens when we grieve the Spirit? Well, a few things. The Spirit grieves and brings conviction into our lives. What a beautiful, beautiful stroke of grace it is that God convicts us of sin. God, by the Spirit within us, convicts us of our sin. We may have seasons where we become miserable over our sin. We have that example of David where in the midst of some really gross sin that was all his fault, he, he uses words like, I can't stop weeping. My, my body is being crushed. My bones are being broken. Like you, you, you read that and you hear, and that's the weight of sin on someone's life. And that's the work of the Spirit, bringing conviction into us. 
Something else that happens when we grieve the Holy Spirit, the life and the vitality of our spiritual walks are just pulled away. We know that when we grieve the Spirit, relationships with those whom we love are affected. And we think, as we think about what happens when we grieve the, the Holy Spirit, we are in, when we choose to sin and, and grieve the Holy Spirit by our sin, we are in essence saying, okay, God, I'm good. I don't, I don't need what you have to offer right now. I, I'm taking whatever this other offer is. And so we're, we're short-circuiting what God has done within us. And so similar to, to the flower that begins to wilt when its source of water is taken away from it, the same happens with us. And like spiritually, it's kind of hard to quantify this, and words just don't really explain exactly what we're talking about. But, but spiritually, we just kind of start to dry up, don't we? Like You've had those seasons. I've had those seasons where, where I've walked in sin, and there's just a dryness to my walk. And to verse 30 here, what happens when we grieve the Spirit? When we sin and grieve the Spirit, we are offending and we are hurting the God who loves us. And so as we think about grieving the Spirit, Paul isn't saying, don't sin so that you don't have to suffer the consequence. Like Paul is not using the, using the example that we would use often in discipline. Don't do that or else. No, Paul's going so much deeper in his explanation. He's saying, no, it, it, there's so much... There is an or else. Now, let's be clear, right? There's consequence for our sin. There is, there is an or else. There's, there's discipline that, that comes because of our sin. But the deeper issue is that our sin brings grief to the one who saves us, who loves us more deeply than we can ever even imagine. And we will spend an eternity learning more and more and more about that love, the one who loved us that way. We offend and sin against, and he grieves. And in those moments when we are choosing momentary satisfaction over eternal glory, we're making a choice that, that expresses what we want and it expresses what we worship. We want what we worship. We worship When we worship something or someone other than the one who redeemed us, the Spirit grieves. And so when we grieve the Spirit, conviction comes into our lives. God will not leave us alone. And that should cause for all of us a resounding amen, praise the Lord. God will not leave us alone. God, by the work of the Spirit and His strokes of providence, will make us absolutely miserable. May expose us may discipline us in, in a variety of ways, but will not leave us alone. Why? Because he's made us his own. We now belong to him. And so Paul, what he does at the end of this verse is he brings the, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, and he roots the command in the actual gospel. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Think about just for a moment. If you are saved, think about what God has done in you and what God has done for you. How can you ever think that God would not be affected by your sin? How can we ever think this? When we, when we stop and just consider all that God has done for us and, and all that God has done in us, 
And the language that Paul is using here, he's, he's, he's drawing from an Old Testament account in Isaiah where Isaiah is talking about the people of God and how God was so good to them and so kind to them, but they chose to rebel against him anyway. Listen to Isaiah 63, verse 9. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. What a glorious statement. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. So God doesn't just get angry when we sin. He grieves. He hurts. And so what Paul is doing here, he's he's doing two things at the end of verse 30. One, he's appealing to the reader and and to us. He, He appeals to our status. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. And so applied to, he's applying to, to present life, like right now. And so he's drawing from something he's already written in chapter 1 and verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed speaks to their status. You are no longer who you once were because God has made you His own. You are new. You are made new. Now live like you are made new. We are identified in Christ and we are identified by Christ through the Holy Spirit within us. We are sealed. And so he he, he appeals to their status, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, but he also appeals to our security. You are sealed for the day of redemption. He's spoken of this redemption also in chapter 1 already in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And so it's not just you are sealed now, but you are sealed forever. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We are secure. Now, this is encouraging for us because it reminds us that there is no amount of sin and there is no great of a sin that we can ever commit that will ever cause us to be kicked out of God's family. Why? Because we're sealed by His Spirit. God puts His seal on us, and that's a seal to never be removed for the day of redemption. What is this day of redemption? The day of redemption is the day when all things are made new. When either by death or by Christ's return, we actually see the Lord. And so God saved us from something and He saves us for something. And so we're living now because of what is, because of what will be. And we, we know we are not yet what we will be one day. So we keep striving to become more like Jesus. Now, what Paul is not saying here, just to be clear, he's not saying that we should avoid sin and stop sinning in order to stay saved but that we should instead be grateful and be confident that the Holy Spirit is our seal and our security for a salvation that will continue to be revealed for us and ultimately revealed in the last day. We will never lose our salvation because of our sin. But the Spirit grieves when we sin. And so we won't lose our salvation. But what about the vitality of that salvation? What about the joy and the happiness in that salvation? What about the closeness of the walk with the Lord? And maybe even right now, you think of a day gone by when it's, I I walked so closely with the Lord. It's as if we were in the garden. But because of sin, 
life just seems to be wilting away. And the Spirit will never leave us, but He does grieve over our sin, and He will discipline us in His love. He will not tolerate sin in our lives. Which brings us to question five. What do we do when we grieve the Spirit? What do we do when we grieve the Spirit? These are very, very practical action steps for us as it relates to sin and grieving the Spirit. Number one, search out the sin that grieves the Spirit. Ask God to reveal what's going on in your heart. Don't just search your own heart because you're pretty good at lying to yourself. right? Like I, I, I'm pretty good at working around things. I'm pretty good at finding other angles, different corners to hit. No, search out the sin that grieves the Spirit and ask God to reveal those sins that that grieve the Spirit. Number two, name the sin. Name it. We don't sin in bulk, so why would we confess in bulk? Be specific. The problem with generalizing, with not naming sin is we generalize sin. And when we generalize sin, we minimize sin. And when I stop and I think, this sin of greed that has caused me to, let's say, do something in my business, this sin of greed actually grieves the very heart of God and the Holy Spirit that is within me. It brings the reality of that sin to a truly different level. So name the sin. Number three, kill the sin. Don't even entertain it. Take drastic measures if necessary. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better to enter into the kingdom maimed than to be perfectly well physically. Kill the sin. We don't. We can't play around with sin. We we must kill the sin. Number four, what do we do when we grieve the Spirit? Number four, tell God you are sorry for that sin and that you are sorry for how that sin affects Him. Apologize for the grief that you have brought to the one who loves you, remembering all the while that He loves you infinitely and eternally. Like, I... Actually say, God, I am sorry. Number five, repent. Repent. Repentance is not just a request for forgiveness, but also a declaration of change. So we've, we've told God, God, I'm sorry. And so then we repent. There's, there's, a, there's a willful declaration. Just like there was a willful declaration to commit the sin, we are making a willful declaration to turn from the sin. Confessing that willful declaration to the Lord and maybe to others if we need the help as a community of faith. But repentance is part of the regular rhythm of the Christian's life. We enter into the kingdom by repentance. And one sure sign that we actually belong in the kingdom is that we continue to repent. We should be incredibly good at repenting. Not because we are incredibly good at sinning, which we are, but because we know that our sin actually grieves the Father, grieves the Son, grieves the Spirit, and impacts so many people around us. And so we repent. Number six, 
Walk in newness of life, joy and love in the Spirit. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to do what? To forgive, to forgive us our sins, and also to do what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1. And so when, I I mean, it's like you've been out working all day and just it's nasty like it is right now and you just step out of the shower. And it just feels good to be clean. And so we're, after we repent, after we tell the Lord we are sorry, we've come under the weight of conviction and, and dealt with that sin and, and committed to kill that sin, taking drastic measures if necessary, repented to the Lord, we're walking in a new way of life yet again. It's like we get saved all over. And so we're, we're, we're clean again and we, we are returned to that Romans 6 newness of life that happened when we were first saved. And then number seven, what do we do when we grieve the Spirit? We've come full circle. We've repented of that sin and made a declaration of change. Life has been renewed and restored within us. Number seven, we thank God for the seal of the Spirit on our lives. If God didn't seal us with His Spirit, if God didn't indwell us with His Spirit, now, we're, it's game over for us. It, it, there's no way any of us will sustain salvation. Just as good as we were at sinning before, like we know, I'm, I know I'm still pretty good at this sin thing. And it can be momentary and instantaneous and impulsive, or it can be long-term and calculated. I'm still really good at this sin thing. But there's the Holy Spirit like living in me. And so where I go and what I say and what I do, guess who is there with me? The Holy Spirit of God. And so when you, you, when you read through, especially 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and, and hear Paul addressing so much of the immorality that's going on in the church at Corinth, he's telling them, you are dragging the Spirit through everything that you are doing. And you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Why is this so important? Why come here in verse 30 in in this list of put off, put on, don't do this anymore, start doing this now? Why does he come and say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption? Because Paul knew writing on an inspiration of the Holy Spirit and we know by experience that, that anything that hinders our walk with God as Individual Christians hinders our walk with God as a group of Christians in the local church. What what hurts God by sin certainly hurts me, but it also hurts you. It hurts us. And so to the question that we began with, are you grieving the Holy Spirit? Are you in the middle of some sin, maybe right now, an attitude or action? Maybe there's a thought that you're just entertaining. You've maybe not acted on it, but, but that thought has, has just hung out there in your mind for a while. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. What do we do? 
We pray the prayer of Psalm 139, and this is how I close. And I want you to hear these words and let these words be our prayer. And then we'll sing together and as, a, as a declaration of walking in righteousness and purity, declaring this in song. Listen to Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Knowing full well that the me of Psalm 139, 23 and 24 affects the us of Redeemer Church. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, what a heavy and necessary reminder we find ourselves encountering here in Ephesians 4.30. Lord, we know and we confess that we are far too casual in the way that we think of our sin and the way that we treat our sin. And Lord, maybe, maybe there are some of us right now who are just wrapped up in some known or unknown sin, some public or private sin. And Lord, we know that this causes grief to the Holy Spirit within us. And so thank you for the conviction that comes. Thank you, Lord, that you, that you lead us to understanding the depth of our own sin and you give us grace to repent and to tell you that we are sorry. Lord, you've, you've loved us and you've saved us from sin. How insulting for us to go back to those same sins or to new sins or to other sins. Lord, we know that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So Lord, we, we repent, certainly knowing that we face consequences if we don't. Lord, but we repent because we know that our sin hurts you. You've loved us so deeply. You've saved us from all of our sin. And so Lord, even in, in these moments, may Psalm 139 happen. Lord, would you search us and know our hearts. Lord, would you try us and know our thoughts. Lord, would you see if there's any grievous way in us. And Lord, we trust you to lead us in the way everlasting. We pray it in Jesus' good name. Amen.